Welcome to Imperfect Action. Of course, this is Brock Edwards, and today's guest is Raphael Crawford Marks. Uh, Raphael, go ahead and just introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're up to. Sure thing. Uh, well, hi, Brock. Uh, I'm Raphael Crawford Marks. I'm co founder and CEO of Bonusly. Uh, Bonusly is an employee engagement platform focused on peer to peer recognition and rewards uh, and people analytics. All right, cool. And so how, how does one get involved in that? Or how um, did you get involved in that, I guess, is the real yeah. question. Um, well, it was uh, really kind of by by accident. Um, I was living in New York back in 20, uh, 2012, and uh, my co-founder, uh, who at the time was just a friend of mine, uh, kind of we would meet up for, for beers or to go on bike rides. And, and he started talking about this idea, um, for giving out peer bonuses in the workplace. And it sounded like an interesting idea. And I had some extra time on nights and weekends to work on it. So we just started building it as a side project, uh, just cause we thought it was interesting. And, uh, we launched it to a few companies that we had personal connections to, and were able to, you know, have, have them adopt bonusly as a, as basically as a favor to us, um, got really positive feedback. And then, uh, in early 2013, kind of opened it up to the public for signups, started getting a bunch of signups, got some press, um, and started continue to get really good feedback and also get really good engagement numbers so that so not just the qualitative feedback we were getting from customers was good but also the data on their actual usage of bonusly was really interesting and and encouraging so we kept building it uh and then by the time we got into late 2014 it was too big to run as a side project anymore so we uh raised some seed capital and uh turned it into a business and have continued to grow it from there well you got a a couple things I want to ask you about in there. And, and so what, so if I understand you were like, you know, coding on weekends, evenings without a customer yet, that's just like, Hey, let's build it and then see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, it was, it was really, uh, you know, some, some people, maybe some people might set out to be an entrepreneur and start a business and maybe start with a business model. Uh, what we really started with was uh, an idea or a model for um, a, an online tool that we thought would be engaging and useful for people, for specifically for employees at companies. And so that's what we set out to build. And um, you know, luckily, we were successful. And we, you know, we were really encouraged by the fact that people were you know, really forming habits around using Bonusly. Um, and so then once we saw that, we kept building it and eventually kind of backed into a business model for it and a revenue model for it. Very cool. Um, you know, it just, everyone's got different paths and kind of interesting how that happens. And, but you also mentioned kind of a, another crucial point. So here's like one kind of crucial point when we're talking about imperfect action, like you had no customers, but you apparently had some spare time. And so why not just build a whole platform. Um, you know, that's kind of ambitious and it, it could have gone nowhere, but you took it somewhere. But then th- there's this other point you mentioned where it's like, it's probably costing you money to be at your day job. Mm-hmm. And yet you didn't quite have enough to totally launch. You said you, you had to go out and get seed money. Mm-hmm. How do you make that decision? Like, you know, do, do we take the leap or not take the leap? Yeah, it was, um, 
it was a, challenging to make that decision. And it wasn't, it, it was an ongoing conversation probably for at least a year. Um, so by, by late 2013, we really felt like we had something interesting. Uh, I guess we knew it was interesting. We didn't know how interesting it was or how viable of a business it would be, but it was, it, it was definitely being successful and gaining traction kind of beyond our, our expectations at that point. And so then it was really, you know, at that point, it was just me and my co-founder. We were both technicals. We were both kind of writing code when we could, working around job and family commitments. Um, and it was a conversation between the two of us about, you know, how, you know, how do we take the next step? What is the next step? Um, and, and when do we take that next step? Um, and I think what we ended up doing was we tried to kind of, uh, we talked a lot about kicking the can down the road a little bit to get more data and build bonusly more before we committed to a specific path, like raising venture capital. Um, and, you know, ultimately I think that that paid off in that we had paying customers and sort of kind of a, an initially proven business model uh, before we even started talking to uh, investors, and that really helped us helped our case um, for for raising uh, that initial seed investment. Nice. So th- this, you know, this sounds like a, a it's a great story on the surface. You know, like hey, there's this idea, you kick it around, you've got some spare time to kind of do it as a side project. It turns out it's really got legs. You go out, get some money for it. Boom. Uh, and I know that's the shortened version. So kind of the longer version, you know, obviously the name of the podcast here, the show is Imperfect Action. Mm-hmm. Along that journey, what were some of the challenges or the struggles or the, you know, why on earth do we persist in doing this kind of setbacks? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yes, it, it, it does. It does sound like a neat little narrative um, when I when I give it in the, that high level synopsis, but it certainly was pretty fraught and pretty bumpy and there were a lot of direction changes and uh you know certainly tension uh you know tension around which way do we go um you know i remember specifically at some point before we raised uh uh that seed investment um you know having a conversation where i was pushing really hard for us to to you know jump in to fundraising mode and and raise money and um, John, my co-founder, was was resisting pretty strongly. And it was a it was a really tense conversation, um, and 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 really hard to have at the time. Um, but ultimately, from that tension emerged kind of this this middle road where um, you know I was able to quit my day job. Uh, at before John could. And so I was able to kind of start working full time on bonusly without even raising, uh, investment because John's job paid well enough that he actually shared some of his salary with me to help me pay the bills while I did that. And so that kind of enabled us to increase the number of hours we could work on bonusly without, um, raising investment until a little bit later on. Well, well, that that's pretty fascinating. I mean, I, yes, you know, you, you you think about you're starting a company, you're going to have to sacrifice, you know, it's going to cost you money, whatever. But the idea of you know one partner basically, um, 
I don't know, being the breadwinner for the company, you know, really mm-hmm. kind of being the one funding it, yeah. and even to the point of funding the the, the co-founder. Um, mm-hmm. That I mean, that's a level of commitment that uh, I suspect um, m- many people would struggle with or wouldn't even kind of think to go there. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was, it was kind of a, a two-way sacrifice. You know, John was sacrificing money and I was sacrificing time or, or, or John was committing money to the business while I was committing time to the business. That's a good way to think about it. Yeah. Um, well, so when you think about kind of some of those bumps and trials and tribulations and all of that, you know, what kind of advice would you have for others? Well, actually I'll, I'll get, I'll get to that question a little bit later. Cause I'm kind of curious. So it, it was the two of you, you're working on it, but now you're up to what, two dozen, 20 or so employees? We're 22 now. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, in fact, this came up in my own life this very week, just the realization that although on the surface, my team looks similar, there have been just enough changes over like the past six months that it's actually a vastly different team and needs to be led Mm -hmm. differently. Mm-hmm. what have been some of kind of the points along the way where you realized, Oh, you know what I was doing worked when there was two of us, but now that there's, you know, mm-hmm. 10 of us, it's, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've had a few of those transitions where kind of what had been working stopped working and we kind of realized that and had to make adjustments. Uh, I, I think the, the first time uh, I can think of that happening was, Um, when we, well, even, even, you know, for the longest time, it was just me and John working on it. And once we raised money, we, we made our first hire. Um, and I think just, just that going from just me and John to me and John plus an employee, uh, was, was a shift for us in, in just how we thought about it, how we, yeah, that was the beginning of us both learning that, you know, we had to start delegating, we had to start, you know, kind of being hands off with certain parts of the business and letting team members work on it. Now, obviously, when the team's that small, we're still doing almost everything, but that was the beginning of it. Um, there was another inflection point. Uh, a couple years ago, we went through a fairly rapid scaling process where I think we, we doubled our headcount in under a year. We went from maybe, I think, like seven to 14 That's employees. Huge. Yeah. And that was a really big change because at seven employees, you're still a, a totally flat organization. Um, once you get to 14 and, and with bonusly the, the, the 14 broke down where I think roughly half of our team still is the case are in product development. So, uh, you know, the product team itself is seven people uh, at that point then it's not enough just to have kind of informal leadership from me and John uh, and and the rest of the organization be totally flat. There had to be more communication. There had to be a little bit more process to make sure everyone was on the same page. We had to start kind of figuring out how do we maintain the, the nimbleness and the quick reactions that we had when we were seven people, but also you know, make sure there's open communication and, and alignment with, you know, twice as many people. Uh, and that was a big transition. 
Definitely, definitely. You know, as you're talking, it occurred to me that, you know, hiring the 22nd employee after the 21st, that that's a much smaller percentage jump, obviously, than, you know, hiring that 14th employee. But even it just had me thinking like the first one, like when you hire number 22, it's like, yeah, we've got this cool mm-hmm. startup, come and join us. You know, we have a mm-hmm. lot of fun. We do do great things. But, you know, mm-hmm. that first employee where it's like, well, yeah, you know, it's me and John and we're working out of an apartment or a garage or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, little, literally out of our apartments. Yeah. We would just, we just take turns, you know, working out of his living room or working out of my living room. <laughs> I mean, that, that just seems like a tough selling point to that first employee. Like, yeah, we kind of have a company and... You know, <laughs> what, what was it that, that really, you know, kind of made that person say, okay, yeah, I think you guys have something here. I'm going to, you know, invest some of my career in you guys. Right. Um, well, you know, I, th- I think, uh, I think a lot of the credit for that goes to actually the, the personality of the person we hired. Mm. And, and, and I think this goes for the first hire basically anywhere, um, especially for first time founders. I think if you're, if you're, a a, a, um, a founder that's founded other companies and you have a track record, it's a lot easier to attract talent as you know, at the beginning, but when you don't have that track record, um, you know, we're trying to define what we're looking for, but we also, in addition to ticking the boxes of the, the skills and, and abilities of what we're looking for, we also need someone who's like kind of willing to take a risk on us. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there are things we can do and say to, to try to encourage them to take that risk, but ultimately, fundamentally, they have to be willing to kind of like, you know, jump into the deep end. Um, and, and so the person we found, um, you know, was kind of a, a jack of all trades, kind of ended up doing a lot of everything, um, uh, basically everything non-technical. Actually, he did end up writing some code at one point too. So he kind of did everything. Um, and, and it was really, he was, he was willing to take that initial leap and take that, take that risk. Um, and it was even more of a risk because, um, there were conditions on our seed investment that we make this first hire. So we, we wouldn't actually get the money until he agreed to join the company. <laughs> so it was even a little bit more fraught than like, oh, we already have the money. Come join us. It was like, you have to join us so we can get the com- get the money. Yeah, that, that's a bit of a catch-22 there. Like, you know, yeah, we yeah. don't actually have any money until you join. Um, and uh, yeah, so we can't pay you. But as soon as you get here, we can pay you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, and so, you know, bonusly is – you know, a, a lot around helping build and enrich company culture. I mean, you know, that's, that's a product that you were building. That's what you've been working on for you know, the past six year, six or so years. So as your team has grown and you, you know, you, you really hit on this, that, you know, at a certain level, you can have kind of informal leadership, you know, the company just kind of molds around you and that's the culture. But then it, you hit that point where, there's a a distance between you know the founders and and the next hire. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So so what what do you guys do to focus on and build your own company culture? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it starts with hiring. Um, and hiring was something that while that initial first hire we made worked out great, um, we definitely made some mistakes with hiring along the way. And, 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 um, and without going into any gory details there, um, anything, any lessons from that that you could share? Yes. So, you know, I, I think, um, 
Well, I'll just speak for myself. I think I was a little bit naive in my approach to hiring where I tended to, um, I tended to wear a, a bit of kind of rose colored glasses when I would speak to candidates, um, and kind of assume the best, or if, if, a, if an answer was incomplete, kind of fill it in with like the best case response and assume they would, you know, rise to that occasion and, uh, very quickly realized that that was not a good approach to hiring. Um, and that it really paid to be extremely diligent and uh, um, intentional with your hiring. And uh, I think we, uh, as a company, really turned that into a strength probably around the fifth or sixth hire is when we we had, we had a few, uh, maybe hires like three and four didn't work out. I can't remember exact numbers. But you know, mid to high single digits, we really started to revise our hiring processes. Mm and define kind of what are the skills and abilities we're looking for, define how we could assess for those, and then actually create a grading rubric ahead of time uh, of what would be, you know, a five out of five, a four out of five, a three out of five answer. And then level setting and always having two people at first, just me and John, but then other members of the company participate in every stage of the interview. Um, and, and score independently, and then we would compare notes. Um, and so just getting really, really rigorous about our hiring process dramatically improved the, the, the quality of hiring decisions that we were making. Um, and it's really turned it into a big strength. And, and when you do that, one of the things we kind of assess for is compatibility with our core values and our culture. Um, so, you know, one of our core values is uh, go get results. Uh, another is work smarter. Those two core values really have to do with being a, a self-starter as well as being very kind of data informed. Um, and so we would work questions that assessed for those things into our interview process. And so that's really helped, um, you know, kind of build company culture from the outset, from the point of, of hiring. So, so you've got this, this company, you, you, you've built it up, got a, you know, 22 or so employees, you've refined your hiring processes, you know, you, you focus on the culture, being very, very intentional about it. Um, how, how does a company that size, I mean, that, that's way bigger than the side hustle that it started as, but, you know, mm -hmm. it's still not a large company. And how does a company that size get business? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, the, it, it, it's it's a challenge because, you know, especially in our space, we're, we're selling to uh, typically into, um, you know, HR, uh, at least for, for the larger companies that we sell to. It's to director of HR, or VP of HR. Um, and that has traditionally been a fairly kind of risk averse uh, function within an organization. Mm -hmm. And so if they're considering bonusly up against some sort of... Uh, old school enterprise tool, uh, we don't have the brand or the, the track record that this enterprise tool has, even if our product is much, much better. Um, a lot of, there's, there's a lot of, um, weight assigned to just having that kind of brand presence and, and that enterprise history. Uh, so, you know, we got, got our start by selling to smaller companies, uh, uh, you know, I think the average size of our customer back in the early days was maybe 20 or 30 people. Um, 
and then over time we have moved up market. So we, uh, you know, our average company size is now over 100 people, and our largest customers are uh, have employees numbering in the thousands. And so as we built that track track record, uh, we were able we were able to move up market. Um, our product also evolved to better serve larger com- uh, companies. And um, we were able to then leverage our customer base also to provide things like case studies and customer testimonials and things like that that help make up for the fact that we're not like a big brand name enterprise vendor. Yeah. So is there a, a particular type of company that works best as a customer of yours? And I guess kind of what I'm thinking about is, do you tend to attract companies that like haven't done peer recognition at all ever? And so this is like a totally new idea, or do you tend to attract companies that already do it in some way and are just looking for a better, easier way to do it? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, Just as some context for, for this question, when we started bonusly, I think the the overall kind of business culture uh, was very different than it is now. There's been a pretty massive change just in the last uh, you know six seven years. Um, but when I would pitch peer recognition to companies in 2013, you know I, I would have people laugh at me uh, on the phone. Like you can't trust employees to give each other micro bonuses or recognition. Like that's only that's a job only managers can do. Um, but now when companies come to Bonusly and are considering, you know, buying our, our um, product, um, they're already really well versed in the importance of employee recognition. And in most cases, they're doing something. Usually they're not, they're, they don't have a comprehensive program. It's maybe ad hoc on a per department basis, or maybe it's uh, not online. They're like, they have like a way to write thank you notes to each other, or maybe it's kind of a homespun solution. They have some sort of Google shared Google doc where people write in recognition. And so, you know, they're trying to do something, but the solution they've come up with in house is not scalable or it's very burdensome. Uh, and so, but they know it's important. And so they're, they, you know, usually find bonusly through Google search or something like that and say, oh, you know, they come to us knowing, Hey, this is important. We're trying to do it. It's not working very well, or it's too hard, uh, or not scalable. You know, can you guys help us do it better? Yeah. So in, uh, you know, if you're, if you're not in the HR space, most people wouldn't know this, but I mean, you're not alone in this space. Like there are other organizations that produce software, produce Mm-hmm. ways of helping with peer recognition what what sets yeah. what sets bonusly apart or where do you is there like is there like a sweet spot that you focus on or um I, i'll stop asking the question just let you jump in there <laughs> yeah um so w- when we started we were uh the first or maybe there we started right around the same time as the one other uh peer recognition uh provider uh that that was also a relatively early entrant into the space. And now, I mean, I've lost count of the number of kind of small startups that are trying to provide some form of peer-to-peer recognition, but it's, you know, well over a dozen so that the space has become a lot more crowded, Um, which on the one hand means there's potentially competitors that can take business, but it also means that there, you know, companies are coming into this space because it's grow, It's a growing market because they see opportunity, and so that's really validating for, um, you know, the fact that that we're, you know, we, we chose to focus on the right problem uh, at the right time. 
And what sets Bonusly apart is um, one, our our ease of use. We we designed Bonusly from the beginning to essentially be an automated employee recognition solution. So once it's set up and launched at the company, even the HR administrator who kind of runs the program basically doesn't have to do anything to make it work on a day-to-day basis. Um, and so it's super easy and super intuitive uh, you know, for everyone from the administrator down to the end user, to the employee at the company who's just using it to, to give recognition. Um, another difference for us is the level of customer success that we offer from the get-go. Uh, so as soon as a customer signs up with Bonusly, um, you know, they, there's a bunch of online materials helping them implement and launch it. And if they're a larger company, um, larger than about 50 people, they actually uh, are assigned a customer success manager who helps them implement and launch bonusly, including helping to train their staff about peer recognition if they're not familiar with it. Um, and then the third thing that separates us is technology. Uh, we built Bonusly as a platform from the beginning rather than just an app. Our, our philosophy was when a company adopts Bonusly, they shouldn't be adopting a recognition app. They should be integrating recognition into their existing workflows. And so we were one of the first companies to integrate with Slack, for example. And so employees can give recognition and see recognition that's being given from Slack. Uh, we integrate with the company's back office software, like their HRIS system. Um, and we also integrate with other enterprise tools like you know, single sign-on and things like that. So those three, three things really separate Bonusly and, and set us apart. Um, and, and have, you know, those have been the, the things that really help us, uh, you know, win, win business, um, even as the, the spaces become more crowded. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's quite a ways from, uh, you know, a, a couple guys sitting around needing something to fill <laughs> yeah. their spare time with. Uh, yeah. So how have you grown as a leader, a business person, you know, a human, how, how has Bonusly, this whole enterprise helped you on your journey? Uh, tremendously. I, it's been, it's been quite the journey for me. Um, and certainly a very challenging one at, at times. Um, you know, just when, when I started working on Bonusly, I was really just thinking of it as a side project that would be fun to build. Um, and, and so I was thinking very, very tactically, just writing code to build this thing that I thought was interesting. Uh, my career up to that point had been as a software engineer. And that's really what I thought of myself as uh, at that point was, you know, I'm a, I'm a software engineer, I write code to build things. Um, and as Bonusly grew, um, you know, there was the need for sales and marketing and customer success. And, you know, I was the person who did those things because there was no one else to do them at the beginning. Um, and then ultimately would, would hire someone to take over from me, uh, as we grew. So I really ended up doing kind of every function in the organization. Um, and, and so that was a big learning experience, just like you know, learning how to sell, learning how to uh, provide support, learning learning about SEO and, and marketing. These are all things that I'd never really paid any attention to. Um, and then the thing that kind of remained my responsibility that was that was new to me 
were kind of the business model and, and, and finance and, and, you know, actually um, the, the dollars and cents of it. Um, that was all brand new doing financial models and forecasting. And then as we grew, my job ceased to be tactically executing on any of those things, but really more leadership and creating alignment and making sure that everyone had the resources they need to, to, to get their individual jobs done. And that was a vastly different set of responsibilities and set of skills than I had ever had at, in any job previously. And I, you know, I, I was a total newbie at it and I really struggled. It was a multi-year long transition for me that included a lot of, uh, honestly, like a lot of self-doubt about like trying to figure out if I was even doing a good job. How do I measure if I'm doing a good job? What, what do leaders do? What should I be doing? Um, you know, I'm getting all this, you know, negative feedback from different parts of the company. How do I respond to that? You know, it, it was, it was a real challenge. And, um, but ultimately it, it really helped me grow. And I now, uh, actually really love my position as, as, you know, helping to grow the company, um, and, and, and be the, the public face for it and the, the internal face for, you know, setting direction and, and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, like if you are an, you know, GE or any other massive company, you know, there, there are whole leadership development programs they can send you to and rotate you through the company and polish you up as a leader. You know, when you're the CEO, that doesn't, you don't have those same opportunities. So how did you develop mm -hmm. yourself? I mean, was there anything in particular, a book, a course, what, what was it other than just, you know, school of hard knocks that helped accelerate that process? Yeah. Um, so, so a lot of it was, yeah, school of hard knocks or trial and error. Um, I did for about a year, uh, uh, have a, uh, CEO coach, uh, that I would meet with monthly. Uh, and that was really helpful. Um, you know, just, just to have someone to talk to, um, about what I was going through and, and talk through, you know, my thoughts and, and feelings, um, and to provide some, you know, some advice and recommendations on, on things to try. Um, so that was extremely helpful. Um, and then beyond that, it's really been a mix of blog, reading blogs, listening to podcasts, reading a few books, getting advice from, uh, a couple of our investors, um, you know, uh, have had a, you know, a ton of experience investing in a lot of different companies and have been really good sources of advice. So it's kind of been this whole potpourri of, of sources of, you know, trying to get advice and ideas um, for, for how to improve and then putting those ideas into practice here and kind of seeing how they work and, and adjusting accordingly. Well, very cool. Well, um, you know, as, as usual, we could spend a lot of time going down this journey. And, and I think it relates to, I think everyone can take a lot of lessons from your journey here, you know, with people wanting to start a business, people in a business, trying to figure out how to get to that next level, recognizing that, it, you know, it's not a straight line to success, that there are bumps and twists and turns and right right about the time you have it figured out and I, and I'm paraphrasing heavily from what you said, but you know, right about the time you have it figured out, you know, something changes and it's time to go learn a new skill. Yeah. So, well, I, where, where can people find you? Like if they wanted to reach out and either learn more about you or learn more about bonusly, where, where would they track you down? 
Yeah, well, uh, Bonusly, our website is bonus.ly uh, or bonusly.com. And uh, we're also on Twitter at Bonusly and Instagram at Bonusly. Those are great places, especially Instagram, to learn more about like what it's like to work at Bonusly, a lot about our company culture. Um, and then uh, I'm on the, the team page along with the rest of our team. And you can uh, find a way to contact me through through that or through LinkedIn. Um and so, yeah, that's the, the best way to find us. All right. Very cool. Well, you know, final question. It's tradition. I ask all my guests, you know, how can the listeners help you? What would your ask of them be? Um, well, you know, I think if any of the listeners are out there who are, who are running a company um, or, you know, and in particular thinking about their company culture, uh, I've, of course, encouraged them to, Think about how they're doing recognition, and they, that doesn't mean using Bonusly, though they certainly can. Uh, and if they they want to come and, and talk to talk to us about recognition, uh, I would certainly love to do that. Um, and then, you know, I think I'm always uh, interested in connecting with listeners who have been on this sort of entrepreneurial journey, um, and if they're kind of a little bit behind where I am, I love to to share you know, my experiences. And if they're a little ahead of where I am, I love to, to learn from them. So if, if uh, anyone wants to reach out to, to talk, um, feel free to do so. Very cool. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you. This has been fun. Just a little, just a little